The busboy at Mac's diner was a good friend of Mac, had worked there for a number of years, but when Mac died, the new manager didn't like the fact that the busboy could not read, and so he fired him. And this busboy took his savings and he invested it in a shop, and he kept reinvesting it in his shop, and soon he had three or four or five different shops, and one day he was sitting with his banker, and his banker said, you know, you are, uh, you've really made an amazing uh, empire for somebody who is illiterate. Imagine where you would be if you could read. And he said, well, I'd be the busboy at Max Diner. <laughs> now, sometimes the, 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 the turns of events, the unfortunate turns of events in our lives don't always have this sort of tidy little punchline to them. They don't always turn out in a here and now way that makes sense for us. In fact, dealing with the question of why we suffer is like trying to take somebody on a tour of New York City in one day. Today, we're just going to go down Fifth Avenue. We're going to go down sort of the main thoroughfare asking the question, can God really work all things to the good? Romans 8.28 says, that God works all things to the good. doesn't say all things are good, but he says he can work all things to the good. And I think what we're going to see in this passage from Acts chapter 9, where Saul, who becomes Paul, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, where Saul has this vision and this encounter with the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and I think what we're going to see is that the answer to the question, can God work all things to the good? I think the answer is yes. From the Word of God, Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Would you open your Bibles and follow along with me or look at the screens if you have your Bibles? Uh, we're going through 1, one through uh, 19. And... Uh, I do encourage you to bring an ESV, English Standard Version, Scripture. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, now that's what they used to call Christianity, the way, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and... The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, 
Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to our saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he is to suffer for my sake, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. May God bless us today through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw a picture of a, a boy who was just crying, just, just a horrible face, he was crying, and the caption under it said, Enough with the things that can make me stronger, right? You've heard that expression, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. I've got a little twist on that. I've said this before, and I want to unpack it today. That which does not kill us can make us stronger. When? When suffering opens us to the grace of God where we're strong where we're weak and where we're already comforted. That's, that's what we're going to unpack from this scripture this morning. How God uses suffering to open us to the grace of God where we're already strong, where we don't even know we're weak, and where we're already seeking comfort. First, that which does not kill us can make us stronger. Suffering can make us stronger when we're open to the grace of God, when it opens us to the grace of God, where we're strong, where we think we're strong. You see, when we're strong, when we're self-reliant, our faith in the grace of God stays external. It's, it's really a good definition of religion. It's, it's an external code of ethics that doesn't really affect or influence your life. You may understand it in your mind. It's one of the reasons I pray. Often I pray before we open the scriptures that, that God would strengthen us to receive, not just with our heads, but our hearts, that we may live it. But a lot of times our problem is, is that a lot of the things that we believe, even the things that we stand and affirm, are really external to us. That, that was Paul's problem. Paul was very religious, right? I mean... He had quite a religious pedigree. But his faith 
was <laughs> external. Listen to what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 3. He says, We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And then he stops and he says, oh, Though I myself have reason for such confidence. That is confidence in his own flesh. That he can look back in his own life and, and, and to his heritage and see a strength there. Where his confidence used to be when he's writing this. He says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. See, he's confronting people who continue to put their, their confidence in themselves, in the flesh. He's confronting them. And he's saying, look, I've got every reason to do the same thing. I have, I have more strength in myself and in my heritage and in my upbringing and in my track record than any of you. But then he goes on and he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now counter, consider as loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for the sake I have lost all things. Then he says this, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Strengths. That can be the place that is resistant to God's grace, where our faith really stays external. Yeah, maybe we know it with our heads. Maybe we affirm it and we nod in all the right places, say amen, maybe even lift our hands in all the right places. But it is external to us, sometimes until we suffer, until we're really, God really cracks open the, the, the strength that we've been trusting in that's located in ourselves. I had that kind of strength. I, I was... Uh, as a teenager, I was invincible. Now, Piaget, you know, the, the, uh, the famous child uh, you know, uh, professor of psychology of children, he mapped out uh, uh, human development, and one of those phases of life is to be invincible. Well, I was living that. I mean, I was invincible. And honestly, I don't know if I would want to be friends with me. <laughs> When I was that age, now, I was pretty full of myself, pretty cocky, and no reason to be, except in all the things that had been handed to me. And my confidence was in my sense of invincibility. What had I done, you know, at 16? <laughs> and then I had a summer where all of that was confronted. In the space of a month, I did something really stupid and wrecked my car. I blew out my knee and had to have an ACL reconstruction right when they were first starting to do them. Wrecked my knee was, was in a Brace, just frozen in a brace for about five months. 
And, and then my brother was killed by a drunk driver. All within the space of a month, I was invincible, right? Well, that, that summer confronted my attitude of self-sufficiency. I viewed church as something like going to the DMV. It's kind of like we just all have to do it every now and then, right? And don't get me wrong. I mean, I learned things. I mean, I was, I was regularly stuffed into you know, a tweed jacket, and I, I, I had to learn uh, all the, my, my catechism, and I, I went through all the paces, but it was very external to me. Until this pride of mine was cracked open. And I began to see how weak my strength was. You see, Saul had every reason to boast and everything to lose. Everything to lose from a worldly point of view by committing his life to Christ. But from his faith moving from the externals to internal to the very quiet of his heart and the very deepest identity and the very most sense of self to receive the grace of God in his deepest place of self-sufficiency and to see that's the deepest place of need, it made all the difference. It made all the difference. It completely changed his life to where in a little while I'm going to read you something he wrote from prison, which is one of the most artistic and encouraging uh, paragraphs in, in, in written language, written in the midst of suffering, written having lost and been stripped of everything. Here is a man rich in praise. We can experience a greater strength. That which does not kill us can make us stronger when we allow suffering to open us up to the grace of God when we're strong or where we're strong. But we're not done yet. We need to be open to the grace of God where we're weak and when, and especially in the places where we, we don't know that we're weak. These are places that sometimes feel like strengths, but they are weaknesses. They are our reactive moments. The, the way that the muscle memory works in you, the, the way that human nature works in you, that, um, that sometimes is just sort of a button that gets pushed and, and maybe it's an emotional reaction or whatever it is that, that, that is your natural impulse. Sometimes that feels like a strength, but really is a weakness. Uh, There's a woman who, who spoke with uh, Pete Scazzaro, the author of a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Great book. Recommend it to everyone. And she had been gone from church for about five years and came back. And he asked her, where have you been? Why have you been gone so long? And, and um, he must have said it in a compassionate way because she wasn't defensive about it. And, uh, and she said, well, she said this. This was her answer to the question. Why are people who claim to be Christians sometimes such rotten people? 
I'm sure they kind of blew his hair back, you know? And he started to think about it. And, you know, he realized, as, as we should realize, that sometimes people do experience the dark side of human nature in, in this place. I hope not. But, you know, we're all somewhere between zero and 100%, right? We're all somewhere between zero and 100%, and sometimes we have bad days. And, and if, if your expectations are that Christians are to be walking around at 100%, you better adjust those expectations, right? Because we have a natural impulse. Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? When, when the New Testament talks about the flesh, as, as Paul talks about, talks about the flesh from the passage I read from Philippians, he's talking about the natural self, the, 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 the natural reactions that we have, the human nature that we have, the broken human nature that we have. And you know, a, a lot of times we think that we're making decisions from our head, but a lot of times what we're really doing is we're, we're making decisions. Our actions and our decisions are actually coming from our body. Now, that's, that, that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? That your, your reactions and your decisions are coming from your body? Yeah, it's true. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Now, how do we do that if our natural reactions are a little off? How do we do that? You see, you have to understand that, that your response, your natural response, does come from your body. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, who's a, a scholar at, uh, at Yale and a great writer, he's written a book called The Righteous Mind, and he talks about, he gives this analogy of the elephant and the writer. The elephant, the elephant is kind of your, your emotions your, and your intuition. And the writer... Are your, is your reason or your thoughts, your mind. And you know, there's this long-standing debate about whether your mind controls your emotions or your emotions control your mind. Do we, do we have values and do we have, uh, make decisions and do we respond out of uh, first from our mind or from, you know, do, do we draw conclusions about life from, from our body or from our mind? And you know, one you know, one famous scholar says, well, of course, it's from your mind, Aristotle. Another famous scholar, Hume, says, no, it's, it's from your body. And what he's saying is it, it's a little of both. And, and there's sort of this co-pilot thing going on between your mind and your heart. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I was talking with a, an up-and-coming writer, somebody that I know a little bit who's uh, starting to get some traction in her writing. And she was, she was calling out some people for this issue that she didn't agree with them on. And I, I said, it, and, and it was a minor issue. It wasn't a big deal. And I said, is it more important that you convince them that you're right or that you would agree to disagree in this case? And she got sort of a little uh, backstroke on me and uh, started to say, um, get a little defensive. And, and, and she said, well, it's important that I understand why people... Uh, come down where they come. What makes them think what they think? It's important that I understand why they think, how they think. How do they reach that conclusion? I said, well, I think a lot of times when it comes to these kinds of gray areas, we don't know. Good luck finding out because you probably don't know why you have the position you have. 
And it probably has a lot more to do with some experiences that you've had that you've now come behind with, with reason and sometimes what's called proof texting. So we think, this feels right to me. I'm going to go to the Bible. You know, as the old saying says, you know, the devil can quote the scriptures to, its own, to his own purpose, right? And you see that when Jesus is in the wilderness. The, you know, Satan quotes the Bible to try to tempt Jesus. And so we do this. We, we have this... We have a natural reaction. We have an elephant, right? And we think we're in control of this elephant. A lot of times what we're doing is we're just kind of leaning in the direction that the elephant is already going with reason. We're leaning in the direction with scriptures, and we come behind what we've already decided in our heart with proof texts. And what we need is to be broken in those places, we need humility in those places where we don't know we're weak. I had this experience myself, just as Paul has had, this experience of being broken down. Paul, Paul is confronted with his actions. Paul was responsible or standing by watching the first martyr of the church, Stephen. When Stephen was was speaking about the ways that the temple and the, the Jewish system was in, in error with even their own scriptures, not li living up to their own standards. Not only that, but also calling them out for the, 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 the crucifixion of Jesus. He was martyred, and Paul, Saul then, was standing by. And when he recognized that, the that in, in putting Stephen to death, he was actually persecuting Jesus himself as part of the body of Christ. He was broken by it. You know, for many years, you know, I would say my prayers and I'd understand that, 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 that Jesus uh, was crucified for me and that he rose and all of the things that we believe and assent to mentally. And, 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 and still while I was a teenager, I had this, I, I had this, moment of repentance where I realized that it was my human condition, my human condition that put him there. I had this vision of Jesus on the cross, and it was, it was not fun. It was painful to recognize in myself, in my flesh, that, that it was my condition, my human condition, that made that sacrifice necessary. It's called a conviction of sin. It's called repentance. And at some time, it, it, at some time in your Christian walk, now I don't always understand the order of these things. It can be in different orders for different people, but, but, but you and I need to repent. <laughs> we, we need to be broken down. And sometimes when somebody is saying, look, you know, things are crumbling around me. A lot of times what I'll say, and, and, and they'll admit to me that the way they'd been living really wasn't good and things were starting to come apart. And what I'll say is, go all the way down with it. Ride it all the way down. Don't short circuit that process. Go all the way down with it. Break down those places that you think are strong that are really weak. That's what's happening here with Saul, who became Paul. And as a result, he finds a strength beyond him. So we, we, we can be strengthened when we're open to the grace of God where we're strong. 
We can be strengthened when suffering opens us up to the grace of God where we think we're strong, but we're actually weak. And we can be strengthened through suffering when we're open to the grace of God in the places where we are already finding comfort apart from Him. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk with somebody who will say something like this. Um, you know, I've got a nephew who just doesn't believe in God at all. And you know, it's because he's really smart. And I'll be standing there and I'll think, okay, <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to this, you know. Yeah, he's really smart. Like he's really into science and stuff. Yeah. Science isn't a worldview. There's a worldview behind science, you know, and, and so, you know, we don't believe in science. These are just facts. But there's a worldview behind science, and sometimes that worldview is influenced not by intelligence, but by hurt and by anger. Every time that I've talked to somebody who uh, is, does not believe in God or calls himself an agnostic or an atheist, I, I peel back some layers, and what I discover is anger. Not necessarily intelligence. I mean, that can be there too. But, I mean, Einstein was a believer in God, right? The person who mapped the human genome, uh, Francis Collins, a believer in God. This is not, intelligence should not be a stumbling stone. What is often a stumbling stone is the false comfort that we find in self-sufficiency. What's, what, what, what blocks us from belief sometimes is, is emotional, not intellectual. More often than not, what you're going to find is when somebody's saying that, that so-and-so is just really smart and so they have a hard time believing, underneath that is somebody who's been in pain for a long time or it's turned to anger. And Paul, Paul who was an angry man, who was threatened by Stephen, threatened by the way, that anger was confronted. His, his comfort was in his pedigree. His comfort was in his power. His comfort was in externals. And that was broken down to where he says this in Ephesians 3, 15. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inmost being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's people to know how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Paul wrote that from prison. After being beaten, after being persecuted, after shipwrecks, after being beaten by rods, after being in chains, he wrote that beautiful piece. It's a little bit like Malcolm Muggeridge says, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction now. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness 
Or as another pastor said, God doesn't give us faith so that we do not suffer, but so that when we suffer, we can become more like him. Let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you for the ways that you're able to strengthen us through darkness, to bring light in the darkness, if we're only open to it. And sometimes, Lord, we have to confess, and we do right now, our resistance to change, our resistance to what we'd look like without anger, our resistance to what life would be like without the excuses that we hold on to, to be mad even at you. And so this morning, Lord, in the quiet of this place, in the close of this service, would you help us to lay all that down at the foot of the cross, even at the cost of pain, would you open us to the grace of God that is able to bring us strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.